0: Business is about transactions. Beyond that, business is also about people, and people come in all different forms. As a result, the business world is full of variety. When it comes to the business of selling businesses, you can come across a lot of different people. Think about it. When you go to the supermarket or shopping mall, you have all types of shoppers. You have the indecisive shoppers, the ones who will go back and forth between aisles before ever finding their way to the register. You have the coupon shoppers, the ones who are always looking for the best deals stores have to offer. You also have the impulse shoppers, whose eyes are bigger than their wallets and carts. There are so many types of shoppers out there. This remains true online, especially in the corner of the internet where the product is companies and the shoppers
1: are entrepreneurs. This sector is exploding. We're sort of moving away from the whole shopping mall play And that's been occurring for the last 15 years, where people are just getting more comfortable ordering online. I'm your host, Randall Silvey,
0: and this is The Deal Closers Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking about buyers and the different buyers you can come across when selling a company. Everyone is trying to make a living, and for some people, owning a business is the way to do it. Actually, a lot of people think this way, right? It's the dream, to have a business and be your own boss. In today's online market, being a business owner doesn't mean you have to start from scratch. You can buy a company. Jason and Ron from WebsiteClosers.com have seen a lot of different buyers over the years, and they figured out what
1: qualities stand out. You know, as you can imagine, when you're talking about a $1 million deal versus a $100 million deal, the types of buyers varies a great deal. In the lower deals, you know, less than ten million dollar deals, the buyer that you're looking for, if it's an individual that's looking to buy the company, then you want them to have some professional expertise. You know, not necessarily. You know, if they're buying a, a SaaS company as an example, they don't necessarily have to have experience running software companies, but they certainly need to have experience with marketing and sales at, at a very high level, so that they can take some of the skills that they've used out in corporate america and apply them to, you know, what they're going to do with this particular target. And that's also important for any lenders that are out there that are going to be helping this individual buy this company because they're going to want to make sure that they're putting their money behind someone who has the experience to, you know, not only keep the company afloat but also grow the company. Some buyers, you know, and and some sellers to some extent think that, you know, you kind of have to have that strategic buyer come in that's got the experience. You know, as an example, if you're selling an Amazon FBA company, there are not a lot of people out there with experience running an Amazon FBA company. It's certainly possible to find them. But more often than not, these are people that want to get into those businesses. And so you're not necessarily looking for the kind of buyer that has experience running Amazon FBA companies. It's more about okay, maybe in corporate America, they were a senior vice president for a consumer goods company. And, you know, they've got experience with market development. They understand logistics. They understand how the P&L is going to work for a business like this. They just need to be taught how to work with the Amazon ecosystem. And that can be trained in two to four weeks. And then, so once you have that training, you're using your experience and background from the consumer products world in that world. And in so doing, you actually end up with someone who can be very favorable for that business because they've got a set of eyes that, you know, the particular business ownership didn't have before. What you tend to see are business owners that are very creative and don't necessarily have the quantitative side. You know, they're not they're not necessarily going to be accountants. They're not necessarily going to be financially minded. Of course they're doing this to make money but it's more about building the business, the creative aspect of brand development, product development. That's what they're sort of focused on. Whereas these buyers tend to have less of that and more of the financial analysis and those kinds of things. So they're bringing something else to the table while learning what the creative mind has created. There are different things to look at when deals have higher price points. 80% of the deals that are done less than 10 million tend to be with those kinds of buyers. But as you kind of gravitate over the SBA limits of 5 million into the, you know, 5 to 10 million dollar range, you sort of start moving away from, you know, that percentage of buyers, maybe gets closer to 50%, with the other 50% being some of the smaller private equity groups, some of the family offices that are willing to go down to EBITDA levels of a million to 1.5 to 2, you know, somewhere in there. And then you also get a lot of companies that are roll-up companies. Now the roll-up companies are the ones that actually do have you know a staff in place, they have already acquired companies in your particular case, depending on what it is you're, whatever category you're selling in. But again, if it's e-commerce companies, likely the roll-up companies already you know purchased four to ten of these companies. They have a staff in place, they may even have some of the prior owners in place to help with this, and so that can be really exciting for a seller because You've got somebody that you're not going to have to provide so much training to, and they're probably not going to need you as much either and to continue with the company. And sometimes buyers will offer profit share opportunities, or they'll offer uh, other things that will make it interesting for you to stay. But in the roll-up scenario, a lot of times, you know, you're kind of out in three months. You train them, you move everything along, you become available as necessary for calls and emails, but for the most part, after three months, you're kind of, you're kind of gone. And that's also the case with a lot of the companies below $5 million where the seller just sort of handles the transition. Maybe they're available for phone calls, et cetera, on a consulting basis after three months. But you know, after that three-month training period, they kind of go on their own way and do their own thing and probably start up another company that's most of those buyers and of course on the private equity side when you get closer to 10 million and then also family offices that operate in that space it really changes the dynamic completely changes with 10 million plus ron and i just got off of a call with someone who has 200 million dollars at their disposal to start buying these companies and when you have that level of buying power not only do they have the 200 million but they have the ability to leverage on top of it and so, you know, they're looking at several of our companies to do this. And so when, when you get to that level, you start seeing more opportunities for sellers to roll equity. So they're going to kind of align themselves hand-in-hand hand with the buyers to run that company alongside the buyer after closing. And they bring a lot of opportunities to the table, and that becomes really exciting for people because you now have somebody who likely has proven their success out in the marketplace through acquisitions and exits, and now you're going to align yourself with someone who has those same skill sets that you don't have, and they also have the opportunity to apply human capital, working capital, and other things to the business that uh, would be a little bit more difficult for you, plus the networking opportunities. you know They may have retail opportunities or other business experience out there that's going to help build this company, things that you wouldn't necessarily have as a seller, and then once they've done all of those things, you had rolled equity in the business. And so now you can exit it again. And you know, Ron and I tell people, look, if this business continues to grow and you sell it three, four, five, six years down the road, you could sometimes exit for more with less equity than you did with more equity. That is really exciting to a lot of these guys. And again, that tends to start at the 10 million plus enterprise value. We've seen some that dip below that a little bit, but that's kind of the starting point. These kinds of qualities
0: are just one aspect of the bigger picture.
2: The best buyers are actually people who kind of see a big picture and they operate by both intelligence analysis, but even more importantly, instinct.
0: Buyers are people. They have their own dream of owning a business, but along with that dream come their habits and their quirks. These are the kind of traits that factor into what kind of buyer they are. We're not talking prerequisites anymore, like experience and know-how.
1: This is more about personality. There's just so many people out there interested in this space. You know, what we tell our clients, our our sellers, because we are primarily sell side, you know, we have no problems finding buyers for these deals. That's like the easiest part of the entire process. It's really about, you know, setting the expectations with our seller and making sure we find someone that's a good strategic fit that has the financial capabilities to buy the company. And so when we're vetting these buyers it's important that the buyers, you know, do a lot of the homework up front, you know, putting personal financial statements in order, trying to get their personal finances in as good a position as possible so that when we start presenting them to our lenders, as we start presenting them to our sellers, they look attractive as an option compared to someone else who otherwise might not have set themselves up properly.
2: I became a broker because I was trying to buy a business and the information I was getting was not real. And when I became a broker, I was pretty shocked at the mentality of other brokers. The best thing they could do was to find a stupid buyer. Anytime they would find one, they would feel like that was the perfect candidate to buy a business. And the first thing that went through my mind is that's a really bad way to operate. I mean, personally, you know, the first thing I look for in a buyer is to make sure that they're bright, that they're reasonably knowledgeable so that they, you know, even though they're not going to be experienced, they'll have enough knowledge to be able to decipher what they need to know in order to make a logical purchase. And we have changed pretty much every mindset in the brokering world. You know, as far as we're concerned, all the data that we come up with, we want to disclose anything that is questionable, that, you know, is going to maybe get in the way of closing a deal. We want that all out front immediately, the minute we present a company to a buyer. you know, Because the worst thing you could have is if you're dealing with smart people, they're going to find problems. And so our goal is to get it out in the air before you know later on it's, it, it taints the deal and they walk away. Now, when it comes to buyers, they fall into different groups. One might be paralysis by analysis. People who come in and they're so focused on the minutiae They're very smart people, but they don't get it. And you have to kind of discern up front if a person is going to fall into that category because I know I could do diligence on any company you show me, any of them, the best one we've ever sold, and I'll find something wrong. I mean, I can find something wrong. Well, I can find a million things wrong with Uber, Apple, any of them, the biggest companies in the world. You can find reasons that you wouldn't buy those companies, yet they're the best in the world. And so that's the first thing that you have to kind of be careful of as a broker is a person who knows everything and they, you know, decipher everything according to numbers and how it's going to come down. Some of the other things that in buyers that we look for, there's groups out there that sell dreams. Okay. And they get people to come to them and, you know, they say, you know, you can live the dream. Just go out and find the company. We'll help you find financing. And they charge them an upfront fee. And so these guys come to us and we've been fooled a few times earlier in the game. And now we know how to spot them from a mile away, but they'll come to us looking to buy a company and the facts are they're not ever going to be able to buy a company. Somebody pulled a fee from them and you know the bottom line is they're not qualified and nobody's going to raise money for them to buy that company. So you really have to kind of understand who your buyer is, what his qualifications are, what he's looking to do, what his mindset is. And every step of the way, you have to kind of get in front of the process because the process of most brokers fail because they spend a lot of time on people who just aren't real.
1: Yeah. I think you brought up a really good point there at the beginning when you were talking about the manner in which some of these folks go through looking at these companies and doing diligence. And we kind of separate them into two different categories. One is an entrepreneur. And even if you're buying a company and not starting one up, you can still be identified as an entrepreneur. And that versus someone who's got more of a, you know, bean counter type of understanding where they're just focused on, you know, what the company has done so far, or they're less focused on where the company is going. Whereas an entrepreneur buyer will come in and they're focused 100% on where it's going. And even if there's a couple of hiccups in the numbers or they see something in operational diligence that, you know, might throw up a red flag, they look beyond it and they drive forward. And there are just very few of those people out there that, you know, you know them when you see them. Ron and I know how to find them now pretty easily, actually. But, you know, when you're just starting out as a broker, you're going to have a lot of trouble discerning between those that are real buyers that are actually going to close a deal and those that are going to, you know, count beans and say, you know, this is one bean off, I'm, I'm out. And that takes a lot of experience and skill and can waste a lot of time. If you don't know what you're looking for, because the statistic is that you know something like you know only ten percent of all buyers ever buy a company. So here we have you know eight hundred thousand people, but only about ten percent of those, which is still a large number, but only about ten percent will ever actually buy a company. And some of them will look at hundreds of deals. We've got people that will go through all of our over three hundred deals at market, and you just you see them constantly asking for the packages on them and they could range in size from 500,000 to 5 million yet they're still looking at them. This is a buyer who doesn't have any sort of a path, any sort of a plan. Maybe they have some kind of a mandate in their mind but you know, if you're looking at a $500,000 deal and a $5 million deal, you don't know what you're doing. You know, as a buyer, you need to sit down and you know, whether you write it or think about it, you need to understand what size of a business makes sense for you. And you need to think about how much cash float you're going to have after you put down a down payment. You know, you need to figure out what kind of a deal can you, can you actually afford. And I don't think a lot of people do that. They just start looking at all these companies and they're not thinking about what they can afford. And there, there's a lot of ways to afford a business. You know, if you have a 401k, you can lend off of that. If you have equity in your home, you can lend off of that. You know, cash in the bank obviously is always good. But you know, you've know got to take a look at all of that and figure out what your capabilities are. Because with these companies, when you buy them, you now become the company. And so you've got to deal with ups and downs as they occur as a business owner. And there's going to be ebbs and flows. There's going to be downtime. And sometimes you're going to have to fund it yourself. There could be a potential for you to need to go into your own cash reserves. Whether it be maybe you can't pay yourself one month and you need those cash reserves for your family money. Or it be that you want to make an investment in the company, but because you're so cash strapped, you can't. And so sit down and think about what is realistic for you. Just like when buying a house, don't buy a house that's too big for you. Buy a house that makes sense for your particular financial and economical wherewithal. And when you do that, you'll find that you will identify sort of a range that you're okay with.
0: Keeping these things in mind is meant to set you up for success. Buying a business is just part of the equation. You want to buy a business and be able to maintain its success after
1: the fact. What a lot of these buyers don't have is the experience to build companies from scratch. They haven't gone to a lot of the training. They might not have the particular experience to do that. They might not know all of the things it takes to you know, start up a company from you know when you get your first EIN to setting up the LLC to deciding where you're going to set it up to figuring out tax nexus to figuring out you know, and doing research on what categories are going to do well, depending on whether or not you're going to be on Amazon or you're going to be in social media, you know, trying to figure out all of the things that you need to do to start up a company from scratch, that becomes a headache for a buyer. So these guys realize that the best way to do it is just to go out and buy a company that's already successful, um, that you see additional scale opportunities in it, and put yourself in a position to be successful as well by buying that company And riding along the waves of growth as, you know, again, we continue to see online sales take over brick and mortar sales year after year. That's what a lot of these buyers are seeing. They're seeing the stock prices of these tech companies, they're seeing the opportunity out there, and they want to get a piece of it. Jason offers this last piece of advice for potential buyers figure out what kind of business you want to actually buy. You know, don't just look at everything, you know, just because it's tech or internet. You know, there's, 150 different kinds of categories, subcategories underneath tech and internet. Try to figure out what you want. If it's SaaS, okay. Then what kind of SaaS company you're looking for? Is it business, you know, software management? Is it, you know, maybe an online subscription type of business? Maybe you like brick and mortar and you want to go focus on brick and mortar, or you like restaurants, or whatever it is, you need to figure it out and you're gonna be in a better position to be successful if you've identified your target market as well as the deal size. And the third thing that I would note that I recommend for all buyers is to go out and get SBA pre-qualified. If you're gonna do a deal below five million, get SBA pre-qualified. And if you don't know how to do that, you can come to us at website closers and we'll help you with that process. We can get you qualified and then the banks basically going to tell you this is what you can afford and and that's a much easier process than trying to do on your own sometimes because then you're just making assumptions and you might not know but you know when a bank says we think you're good for say a 2 million dollar deal then you know exactly what to look for and then you just hone it down to you know the particular categories that you like um and if you're over 5 million dollars you still you know, you still need to have lending you know ready to go you know if you're a person that has say two million dollars in the bank and you want to buy a ten million dollar deal, well you can't buy it with two million dollars. No nobody is gonna sell you a company for only two million dollars, plus you'd be spending all of your money. So you still need lending. And again, we can help with that. Whether it's you know below five million, five to ten million or ten million plus, we can help with that. Or you need to do it on your own and go out there and find some lending partners to back you for an acquisition. And what's always frustrating is when we have a buyer come to us who hasn't started that process at all. They have no idea what they can and can't afford. They have no idea how the process works, and you know they probably fall in that ninety percent of the time. They're probably never going to buy a company.
0: Thanks to Jason and Ron for taking the time to talk to me. Feel free to send us any questions you have about mergers and acquisitions we'd be happy to explore the answers. Till next time, this has been Deal Closers.